Hello and welcome to Connected by Life. I'm your host, Sean Paul Harrison. Connected by Life was created to have engaging conversations about important topics that impact physicians and our clinical stakeholders in regards to organ and tissue donation and transplantation. I'm talking to Dr. Lori Greer, who's a critical care pulmonologist at Oshner LSU Health in Shreveport. I've known her for over 20 years, and she is very selfless and always very passionate about her patients, families, and the importance of donation. Dr. Greer and I will be talking about the importance of hospital culture and how it positively impacts donation. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Sean Paul. It's great to be back. This will be my second podcast. <laughs> well, your, your debut is terrific. So, I, you know, I'll give you great reviews on that. Oh, thank you. Well, listen, just to kind of recap, I know that some people may have not listened to the first podcast. So if you haven't, I'd please encourage you to go back and listen to it. But in that particular podcast episode, we were talking about some of the specific, you know, we've talked about some specific details about, you know, uh, physicians losing a patient and a family having the opportunity of donation and what those conversations were like. Uh, We even talked about some education. So now I kind of want to shift gears into kind of a more of a broader perspective, uh, because I know that you've been so influential there at Asha LSU Health in Shreveport. I want to get your like your perspective on what builds a culture, a hospital culture that is supportive of donation. Well, um, being in an institution that's changed hands several times. Uh, when I first started, we were LSU Health and Shreveport, then we became University Health, and now we're Oshner LSU Health and Shreveport, and. Even with the change in leadership and partnerships, we have kept a very, very strong relationship with our friends and our colleagues at Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The reason why we've done that is the physician buy-in and the nursing buy-in, that the people that are at the bedside see the importance of organ donation. We've seen it in patients We care for in who may or may not be a donor. And we see it in patients that have come back to us after having had an organ donated to them. You know, um, it's not uncommon for us to be taking care of patients on the floor in the ICU that have had a kidney transplant. We've had patients come in who had previous liver transplants, a few cardiac transplants. And I can say that one of my own respiratory therapists secondary to COVID had to have dual lung transplant. And everything that we did for that particular gentleman was extremely supported by administration. And they did everything that they could possibly do to assist us in getting colleagues to donate sick time for him and vacation time to him, helping us get everything situated with insurance to get him transported to a lung transplant center and even saying when you survive all this when you're better and you're ready we will find a job for you here that is safe for you to perform so i think the buy-in comes from your clinicians both nursing and physicians and the more that we show positive outcomes and opportunities for families and for patients, the stronger that bond becomes. When you're talking about 
you know, sharing some of those positive outcomes or whatnot, whether it's donor families or transplant recipients. What are some of the things that you've experienced over the years that has provided that as far as for, you know, whether it's with the organ procurement organization or the transplant centers? I think one of the most important things as a clinician, when we are successful in helping a family move towards donation and the process being successful, whether it helps one person or whether it helps 13 people, is the ability for the coordinators to provide us what the outcome was. You know, we're not asking for names or places, but we'd love to hear that the liver was placed in a 64-year-old father of three, the kidneys went to so-and-so. You know, if if we do um, complete brain death, maybe the heart, the lungs, the pancreas, small bowel, what have you, we just, we'd love to get that feedback either via text, uh, email, or even a letter in the mail telling us how this particular patient helped so many others. And with us getting that information, I know that the family receives similar information so that they can they can go on in their lives knowing that their loved one is living living on through somebody else's legacy, which I think is just fabulous. Well, I appreciate you you being so transparent with that because I know that there's many organ procurement organizations that have done physician-based surveys through the research and planning group. And we've done it three times over the course of uh, many years. Uh, the last, I believe, was in, in 22 that we at least got the results. And there's so much, there's, there's over 100 pages of feedback, specific comments, and, and there's so much data that's provided back to us. And I think that some of the, I don't want to say surprise, is the fact of that you all really, really want to know. You know, um, you know, we talked about in the last episode of just recognizing that loss. It's 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 a loss for the family, but it's a loss for you all as well. And so, you know, um, making sure that we can remind you of the impact that you have with that family and those lives that were saved. I agree completely. And it's not so much for us. It's just it's just nice to see that the people that you spent all this time with that were going through one of the worst times of their lives in losing this particular individual that when they, you know, as they move through the grieving process and however long it takes people, because everybody's different, you know, you can't say, well, you should be done with this in six weeks or six months. But whenever they come out that other side, one of the things that we know will help them come out the other side, maybe stronger for it, is knowing that the decision they made to donate is is helping someone else and that there's someone else out there that every day wakes up thanking them one way or another, you know, whether in their prayers or just in their thoughts that somebody made the hardest decision of their lives for me. And that's what gets, that keeps you going in the morning. You know, when you get up and you go to work, you think, what am I going to do today? Maybe something like this. And even if you do it once in your lifetime, you know, I've been blessed with the opportunity to take care of patients and families in the worst days of their lives doing both ER and ICU. But to know that even in the worst days of their life, someone else may have the best day of their life, it makes it worth it. Well, you know, you were talking about how, you know, the orchid procurement agency, the, the coordinator sharing those outcomes with you all and how impactful it is to you. But what 
I would like to speak to is you sharing that about how much it makes a difference because I know that you're sharing that in the hospital, those thoughts. And so it's a contagious feeling. And I think when we're going back to talk about culture, how do you build that culture? I think that has a lot to do with it. You can have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of important things that are in place, policies and procedures and things like that. But it's that that spirit of making a difference in those lives. And so, you know, I totally commend you and your team for continuing to do that because it spills out into everyone that is a part of that process. Yeah, it is. And it's it's amazing. Um, last Sunday, I was working and you know, overhead, the operator announced that there was going to be a hero march on the fourth floor. And, uh, you know, I went down, of course. And it's amazing the number of people from all over the hospital, not just the that ICU, all over the hospital came, stood in that hallway with their lantern to be there for that patient and for that family, knowing what what they gave for that day. And it's just when you see that, you know, to me, it's more than, OK, there's, 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 a, there's a policy. You have to call local for a GCS of this. You know, everybody's like, could check the box. OK, we did it. But that's not why they do it. They do it because of things like that. And that made me super proud just looking looking up and down the hallway at the number of people that were there. And the family walked by. They weren't alone. You know, it's like two people are standing there when they walk out of the room with their loved one. What does that tell the family? When you've got 100 people lying in the hallway showing them that we really appreciate you and we care, I mean, that, that helps that family as well. Well, I've had... There's two things that I would like to mention based on that is, one, there was about six months ago, I was attending a meeting with the OPO staff that supports you all. And in that meeting, there was some roundtable discussion and talking about process improvements and challenges and opportunities and those types of things. And someone mentioned that we see this process as something that we get to do, not something that we have to do. That crosses the line over into something that's so much more powerful. Agreed. The other thing is, too, is when you're talking about that honor walk for that family, uh, there's a donor mom that is very close with our agency. And one of the things that has always resonated with me that she said probably, probably almost 20 years ago was that you can't change the experience that they had of that loss. Like you can't bring their loved one back. What you can change is what happened through it. And when they're leaving, what that shares with them. And that's exactly what you were talking about with that. Yeah, there's no do-over for this family. I mean, this is, they're going to remember what they remember. And that's going to help them get through their process that they need to get through. The coordinators do a phenomenal job in being there for both the team and for the family uh, during that time. And the coordinators have really become part of the hospital family in being there for for the staff because there's there's many times where you you get close to a family you you care about them you care about the patient and them being there makes a world of difference to help everyone move through to the next step that is vital because when we're talking about families experiencing loss whenever they're working with you all or they're working with the organ procurement organization they see it as one you know so it's it's building that trust it's building that trust us with you all, and you all with the family, and then that shared trust all across the board. So that is a, a very important um, 
comment that you made there. And speaking of that, we're going to shift as we're kind of wrapping up here. But one of the things that I also wanted to ask you, especially since you've had so much experience and your team has, is that when we're talking about processes, what are some things that you could share of areas that we could provide more and that you see for for staff where they could use a little bit more support or some things that we could just continue to do and not be, you know, not forgetting those things? I think there's always room for improvement and I'd love to be able to give you examples. But to be honest with you, every time I see a member of the team, they're respectful, they're polite, they are, you know, what can we do? How can we help? Do you need anything from us? Um, you know, uh, I really, I wish I could answer that question in another way, but just their availability to assist with whatever is necessary. I think you're doing what you need to do. What I will say, and I appreciate that because they, they are an amazing group. They really are. And, you know, I think that's something that we've really, you know, they, you all have committed to the process and building that culture like we talked about. Um, I would go back to because I know that you're you're really involved with with teaching, and so in across the nation with that research and planning group survey that I spoke about, you know one of the areas that was is heavily talked about in most cases is education, and you know physician education is kind of a moving target, you know because it's difficult because y'all are so busy. There's so many responsibilities, you know. There's so much that you all are doing and trying to keep that work life balance, but as far as for education. What is some of the best ways, the most effective ways that either your OPO or other OPOs out there that they can do um, to have better results to reach these physicians? Like, what are some of the ways that you think that could be more successful? Well, I think the best way to learn for this type of conversation is, I think, would be role playing. To be honest with you, I know that may sound corny to some people. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have thought that's what you were going to go to. But I, I actually, I actually think because I mean, my house staff they they watch us as we do it, and like like I said earlier, as they get more experience watching us and more experience caring for patients, interacting with families, we allow them to take more and more of the role in this discussion. But I think that if you really wanted to really show a true education for this, it would be role-playing. You know, one person's a physician, one person's a coordinator, which could be the coordinator, of course, and the other could be a family member. And move around and being, you know, switching around, being different roles and using someone like me to be the family member. You know, so knowing what kind of questions that families ask or some of the responses to some of the things that are said if they're not said quite the right way. And I think role-playing would actually be beneficial in helping. Well, I think it's it really just boils down to just the comfort of the environment, which you all have. You know, if we're doing this where it's not to be graded, it's actually to to support them and making sure that when they're having those conversations that, you know, they feel a sense, a little bit more comfort, a little more experience. So I know that you and your team, you know, have built uh, an incredible environment of uh, that's conducive for something like that, which would be a great opportunity if we could provide that through the state and other OPOs throughout the nation. So um, I think the other thing is, too, is that, you know, generally we're looking at trying to provide like an hour education, a CME. 
it's very difficult to expect that time because, you know, again, we're going back to the responsibilities and everything else. So that's one of the reasons why this podcast was even uh, created was out of, you know, some of the ideas from other physicians um, and some of our staff here. Uh, so, again, we're trying to look at some of the more creative, um, looking at ways that we can, you know, it's uh, shorter, um, efficient, more effective and convenient and also just having topics that can be very beneficial to others. So, no, I mean, I, I agree with you, but it, it's funny, you know, when you talk, you know, you say, well, we'll do an hour of CME. The problem with that and we're learning that young learners don't learn like that anymore. I mean, they're revamping the entire med school curriculum based on how young learners now learn. And I mean, I give grand rounds, I give lectures, you know, I attend lectures. If you look around the room, there's so many people that are on their phone. They're not even paying attention. Whereas if you do an interactive lecture, they don't know who's going to get called on next. They don't know what's going to be said next. <laughs> right. They're going to pay a lot more attention. That's why I was saying something like a role playing or, you know, something interactive like that would probably be the best way for young learners to learn this. Well, I'm looking forward to possibly entertaining that idea and working with uh, other hospitals and um, also working with other OPOs on some of the, the ways that they're successful as well. So thanks for sharing that. Um, well, Dr. Greer, listen, I, it has been truly, truly an honor to be spending this time with you. Um, like I said, I could speak for, for many people. I don't think that you know the countless lives that you've impacted, whether it's patients or donor families or even recipients that you may or may not meet. And also just the colleagues that you work with and, and the staff um, that have been blessed to be a part of, of working alongside of you. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening. And thank you for being someone that truly cares about organ and tissue donation. It matters. Remember, you can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime at registerme.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Connected by Life on your favorite podcast app. Remember, you're a light worker. Keep shining. This is a production of LOPA. The content in this podcast is intended for informational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional medical advice. To read our full disclaimer, please visit our website. The Connected by Life podcast is hosted by myself, Sean Paul Harrison. Our executive producer is Kirsten Heinz. Our production assistant is Chandra Williams. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Troy Perez.